Well, uh, a reminder that tonight at 6 o'clock, I'm going to be doing installment two of a four-part study in the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to go pretty deep tonight. Uh, there'll be on-ramps for everybody, so you don't have to worry about that, but essentially the substance of what I plan to bring tonight is something I would happily take to teach in any seminary class, so if you're craving for something deeper, come on tonight, okay, 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, we'll be looking at Philippians 2 tonight, and it was a fascinating revelation to me as I was studying for it in that it reveals in that passage why many, many people find it so difficult to connect with Jesus experientially, find that connection. It's not the only reason, but it's a reason that I'd like to uh, unpack for you tonight. So if that's an issue, you'd like to see what that part of the Bible may have to say about that, come on tonight, uh, even if you missed the first one and can't make the others. Come on tonight at 6 o'clock. And I promise those of you who were there last week, uh, I, I promise not to belabor the context tonight, okay? I'll, I'll try not to say the C word at all, okay? Well, I want to continue on this morning in the fourth message in a series called The Power of Your Life. It's uh, my understanding that God has deposited within each one of us a great power and a great influence. That something happens when we come to Jesus as Savior, when we authentically come to Him, something happens. And he has deposited a great power, great influence. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a great power and a great influence comes inside of us. And I want us to, uh, I want us to unpack that. I want us to get that out because it's meant for God's glory. And it ain't a bad way to live your life, giving glory to God, right? And uh, we've been using, uh, we could go to many places in the Bible, but I've been using the life of King David as our example uh, and uh, of the power that God inserts in a person's life. David is a, a type of something that we can all become in, in a very uh, real way. That although this was old, he's an Old Testament figure, and this was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in Acts chapter 2, uh, that David stands as a type of Christ, or not type of Christ, but a type of a Christian, really, for us to uh, be able to walk out in the power that God gives us. Um, I, I think David's life is generous with revelation of this power, partly because there's so much written about him. I haven't done any kind of a study, but it, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me uh, to discover that David may be the second most talked about person in the Bible next to Jesus. I, I, I would, that wouldn't surprise me if someone did that study and told me that. But the other reason that I'd like to use the life of David as our example is because in so many ways he was so normal. And so like us, yeah? And we can connect with him. Uh, he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart, and yet he lived with a real mixture of victories and failures. And so if, if you have a heart to know God, yeah? And would you characterize your life as a mixture of victories and failures? Sounds like David's our guy. So, so far in this passage or in this series, uh, I try to persuade you that if you want to unpack this power within you, first you've got to believe. You've got to believe that it's in there. You've got to believe what the Bible says. You've got to believe that that's true. You've got to believe. You have to make a decision to believe that it's true. That I've been uh, convincing enough in the scripture to persuade you that there is something inside of you that God wants to get out. Second, you've got to relax. You've got to relax. We're not all called to be kings. Uh, that's not the point of the life of David. But we're all called to be what God has called us to be. And God has called some of us to be Obeds, as we saw in that second message, the grandfather of 
King David, whose name only appears in lineage. And he's called us to be that. And he's called us to be that. And there's glory and there's power and there's purpose. But you've got to relax. You've got to relax into the power that God wants to work out through you. Uh, and then uh, last week we noticed that you've got to kill some giants. That the devil himself does not want you to discover this power. You are a potential threat to the kingdom of darkness because of the power that God has invested inside of you. And so in a variety of ways we saw last week, there are giants that come up. But guess what? You've got a sling and five stones. Better than that, you've got Exodus 15.3. You, you've got the knowledge that God is a warrior. God is a man of war, the Bible says, and he wants to come and stand between you and the giant and do the killing on your behalf. So that's where we are so far. Today I'd like to shift gears a little bit as we continue in our study in the life of David and to begin to actually define some of the elements of the power that I'm talking about. Okay, so you've talked about kind of how to get there and what you're going to have to do. What are you, what are you actually talking about specifically? And there are a number of elements of this power that God wants to get out of us. And today I'd like to talk about the power of covenant relationship. The power of covenant relationship. Lord, we invite you to come now and to do the thing that only you can do. We love your word. We love, we love the, the very thought of you, Lord. And uh, so we come to you this morning and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and unpack this passage from the life of David for us, Lord, so that we can, uh, we can be embraced by you and the power of your Holy Spirit to, to do the things that you mean for us to do, have what you mean for us to have. And so we invite you to come and to speak this word to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. When we talk about the power of covenant relationship, uh, you have within you a great power, and part of that power is the power to enter in to covenant relationship. You have it in you, a power to enter into a covenant relationship. You have it in general as a human. Humans can, and I'm going to describe what a covenant relationship is in a minute, so just hang on a second. But you have within you in general the power as a human, every human, as the power to enter into some kind of covenant relationship. But as a result of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in you, you have exponentially greater power to enter into a kind of relationship that can only exist between two people in the bond of the Holy Spirit. This is part of the covenant relationship. It's an amazing and it's a sustaining, it's a life-giving thing when you find it. To, to notice that, look at that. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to look at the first four verses. 1 Samuel 18, page 264 in my Bible. And uh, you get there, and while you're getting there, let me just uh, set up the background. All right. By this time, David has already been uh, anointed as the next king over Israel. Although Saul is continuing, he's finishing out his reign Saul has serious problems. There's no way to be light about this. Saul has a very serious problems. And Saul is working through these problems in a variety of good and bad ways. But uh, in the midst of this interim, while Saul is kind of lame-ducking his way through the end of his reign, and David is there like, okay, I'm ready when you are, Lord, uh, then there's an encounter between David and Saul's, King Saul's son, Jonathan. And they enter into a famous friendship, a famous relationship. And as you read through that part of the Bible and see the kind of interactions that 
David and Jonathan had together and the way they protected each other and defended each other, the way they had to make decisions as to where their allegiance would lie and stuff like that, uh, you'll really be impressed with the kind of relationship that they had. And they entered into something called a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. So looking at that passage, the Bible says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. Remember up to this point, David was going back, taking care of sheep, and coming and playing guitar for Saul, and then going back and forth, okay? And Jonathan made a covenant with David. He made a a what? A covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. There you go. That's a touching picture, isn't it? These two guys coming together and connecting on, obviously, a very essential level. What's really going on here? Well, what's going on is David and Jonathan are entering into a covenant relationship. If you start, the passage says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. One in spirit. This is an essential part of the understanding of the covenant relationship, that these two men became one in spirit. It was a spiritual bond. They became one in spirit. You know you have a spirit, right? I mean, you're pretty convinced you have a flesh, pretty convinced you have an intellect, you have emotion, but do you know you have a spirit? You have a spirit. That's the part of you that's going to live forever. Paul says that we know that when this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building in heaven, not built by human hands, a building from God, and that's the dwelling of the spirit. So you have a spirit, and this covenant relationship is actually a spiritual bond between one person and another. It's a rare And it's a wonderful experience. It's something only God can really do between two people because it's a spiritual bond. It's one in spirit. They become one in spirit. That's what the Bible says, right? They became one in spirit. It's something that God does. This is the thing that is referred to in its best sense as fellowship in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word fellowship comes from a Greek word koinonia. And this koinonia describes a spiritual bond between the believers, A a unity, an essential spiritual bond between the believers. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that there are a variety of relationships that are talked about, in addition, obviously, to one's relationship with Christ. It talks about our relationship with the world, and that somehow as believers, we have a relationship with the world. It says that we are in the world, but not of the world, that we are here to be ambassadors of God's grace and kindness, the gospel, forgiveness of God, to the world, so it says we have a relationship with the world. It also says we have a relationship with the church, and by that I mean capital C. Capital, I love the church. I love the church. I love the capital C church. And I know this is how I got to be. This is how I got to be. You're my peeps. This is our way. But I have every bit of appreciation for people who are different peeps and do it a little different way because they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. Let's not ever look over our shoulders at some other church in some kind of judgment or criticism or even evaluation. Are we not just trying to get this the best we can? Are we not? So are they. And I love the church. Whatever its flavor, whatever the sign is out in front of the parking lot, I love people who call on the name of the Lord. And that's a relationship that we have with the church. The New Testament talks about relationships with individual other believers and maybe... Uh, again, I haven't studied it, but off the top of my head, I would say that a, 
uh, a substantial portion of the New Testament is devoted to how to have relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah? That's true. So you see that relationship exists as the center of God's heart for us. And what I need to tell you is that among all the relationships that we have, among all the relationships, I believe that it's true of every believer that God has set up opportunity for you to have a small number of covenant relationships where you become one in spirit with that person. And I'm not saying it's true of everybody you'll ever meet. I don't think we have a potential for very many of them, but we do have a potential for some of them. Okay? It's part of the luxurious power of being a believer, that you have inside you a power to enter into that. That's part of the power. We got to the part of the Bible where Jesus said something like, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. And how many of you have been tricked by the TV preachers and said, you know, you can just ask for your Lexus or whatever? Nonsense. Non-freaking sense. That's what that is, okay? It's about, when two of you agree, it's about coming in to that covenant relationship. You'll discover that when you have these relationships, your prayers are very different. They're very deep. They're very spiritual. They're very wonderful. They're motivated by God. Um, but I think we have a fairly limited capacity for these, and it's not something that we can have with everyone, but something, listen, that we can deeply appreciate with a few. If you just looked around this room, you would see that you, you know some people better than others. You're drawn to other people, and it's a different thing for everybody, and that's part of the work of the Spirit in uh, developing, I think, a forum for you to have covenant relationship. All right, so uh, David and Jonathan somehow, someway became one in spirit. Well, as it goes on, it says, and, da- and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own. He made a covenant. Well, what's a covenant? I like to define a covenant this way. A covenant is a special agreement, a special agreement between two parties that defines, that speaks of an irrevocable relationship. Did you hear that? It's a special agreement between two parties, that speaks of an irrevocable. That means irrevocable, maybe, is another way to pronounce that. You can't revoke it. You can't get out of it. It's an irrevocable relationship. It's that strong. It's that powerful. And it's that amazing. It's not a typical contract at all, is it? You know, I understand people can even get out of their mortgages if they need to. That's not a covenant, right? And we have social contracts when we have relationships with people, depending, depending on who they are. If we work with them, there are certain social conventions that apply, yeah? For their neighbors, there's certain, you know, don't let your dog poop on their lawn, stuff like that. You know, that's part of the contract, right? But these are all breakable. These are all changeable. The covenant relationship is irrevocable. Once made, it cannot be broken. It, it really can't, can't be broken. Um, the reason is, is because in a covenant relationship, your spirits have found one another. Your spirits have found one another. There's a blend. Sometimes you're surprised by it. But you go, I really love that guy. I really love that gal. And your spirits have found one another, and the Holy Spirit has come, and the cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The roots of the covenant are deeply embedded in the Old Testament. If you want to turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, that would be the first book of the Bible, for those of you who are newer. 
Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. His name is still Abram at this point, but we refer to him as Abraham. And uh, God changes his name for reasons that, you know, become clear a little bit later. But God makes this promise to Abram. It's a crazy promise. It's crazy the things God's saying to Abram. And in verse 8, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this? How can I know that what you're saying is true? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now remember how strange this would have sounded, because this is pre-Mosaic. This is before Moses. This is before the temple. This is before the sacrifice system had begun. And he said, I want you to go out and collect these specific animals. Abram brought all these to him, and he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. It's from this that we get the phrase, to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. Okay. And he cut them, and he arranged them opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Because God was calling him out of the land of the Chaldeans to the promised land. And, and catch this. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That's a whole different message. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, with Abram, and said, To your descendants I'll give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, blah, 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 termites, etc. Okay? All the ites. But this is, the, this, is the, this is a reference to the covenant, to the making of a special relationship between God and Abraham that was irrevocable. And in the midst of it, God said it's not always going to be easy. Hey, have you noticed? Those of you who are serious about following Jesus, it's not always easy. He doesn't always lead you to the pleasant places. Me too. It's not always easy, but listen, and don't ever forget this, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Go through it. It's always worth it. Okay. So this is the, the, the foundation of the covenant cutting. And as Christians, we need to think about the opportunity that we have to have covenant relationships. And I think they come in three examples or three categories. One is our relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is a covenant relationship. Jesus is offering only a covenant relationship. He's not offering anything else. Jesus is offering a covenant relationship. He sat down with his disciples at the Passover, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he said, took the wine, and he said, this is my blood. The blood of the what? The new covenant. And the basis of our relationship with Jesus is through his blood in the new covenant. In the Old Testament, that's called the Old Covenant, and that was a covenant of law. So that God had an irre irrevocable relationship with the Jews through the law. Whether they were obeying it or not, they were still his people, weren't they? Because it's irrevocable. It was a covenant relationship that's irrevocable, and it was built on the law. 
And they were called to meet him in the law. We, however, as believers, we meet God through his son, Jesus Christ, through the blood. The blood of the new covenant. And this is an irrevocable relationship. And so as you enter into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you meet him at his blood. The way the Jews met God at the law, we meet God in the blood. And that's why it's irrevocable. Think about it. What does the blood do? It forgives us of all of our sins. You may go. It forgives us of all of our sins. And so that's, the, that's why the relationship with Christ can be irrevocable. How many of you, like me, have sinned once or twice since you've come to Christ? But we keep meeting him where? The substance of the covenant is the blood. As we meet him in the blood, we are automatically forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews says that the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The old covenant, new covenant. So it's an irrevocable relationship. Now don't start wondering about, what well, can you lose your salvation? That's a whole other question. It's a good question, but not one we have any time for today. I just want you to have confidence in the irrevocable nature of the relationship that you have with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not a fragile thing because it's built on what Jesus did. And the devil keeps fooling with your mind, doesn't he? You're not a Christian anymore. You're not a Christian anymore because of X, Y, and Z. You say, I am a Christian because of the blood of Christ. That's the only reason I, became, that's the only reason I am a Christian. Uh, my addictive behaviors cannot prevent me from being a Christian. What? So you're free to do whatever you want? Mm. I, I, I wouldn't carry that one around as a mantra, like hot diggity. Uh, if that's what's going on, I would be concerned about that. But it's an irrevocable relationship. So we have our relationship with Christ as an example of a covenant. Oh, not really. I'm never going to get through this today. Let us pray. <laughs> Is there anything going on this afternoon? <laughs> oh, we got to be done by 11, right? Okay. Are you okay? I feel like, like a ton more stuff, but I, I'm just going to make a decision here as well. I'm going to try and get through it. Second, yeah, there's always one guy that says, go for it, brother, right there, and everybody else is like, no! <laughs> right? <laughs> Bless you, man, you and me, brother. Okay. A second example of a covenant relationship in our lives is our marriage. Our marriage, for those of you who are married, not all of you are married, I respect that. Those of you who are married, your marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship. A blending of spirits. It's the only way it works. A blending of spirits. It's where your spirit meets his or her spirit. And there's a blending. And there's a covenant made. That's why it's irrevocable, because there's a blending of the spirits. It's a blending of the spirits. Now, granted, not everybody who gets married enters into a covenant. They don't. They get married. They enter into a legal contract. And I tend to agree with what C.S. Lewis wrote, that there really ought to be two ways of looking at anybody's marriage. Is it a covenant marriage, or is it a civil marriage? that's become uncivil. <laughs> you hear me? It's a slippery slope. You've got to be real careful. 
But I was reflecting on the words of Jesus, why he said, why he said only adultery would be any grounds for divorce. Why did you say that? That makes my life so hard working with people, Lord. Why did you say that? And the sense I got was that because adultery is an essential violation of the covenant between a man and a woman. It's not about the sex. It's about the violation of the covenant. Of the covenant. That the covenant is broken. Because our sexuality, our intimacy, is an example of our blending. It's such a picture of our blending. And in a covenant marriage, our, our spirits blend. Our spirits blend. And when one travels off in unfaithfulness, it is a picture of the breaking of covenant. Now, that's not all I have to say about divorce. Um, I think the scriptures give us a variety of reasons to consider divorce. That's another message, too. But I'm just saying, please, just listen to this. That at the core of our marriages, men, women, is a covenant. Is the invitation for a spiritual bond. And I have found this, that over the 41 years that Karen and I have been married, I know I don't look that old, I'm not. <laughs> that over the four decades that Karen and I have been married, our spirits have blended more and more, and more, and more, and more, and more. And Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one. The blending of the Spirit. This is a covenant. A covenant. In terms of sexual faithfulness, I'm probably the safest man in the room. I mean, the thought wouldn't even cross my... It's a repulsive thought to me because of the blending of our spirits. Does that make sense? This is the invitation of God for our marriages. This is the invitation. And again, not everybody who says, I do, enters into the covenant, even if they get married in the church. They don't understand that. Bless you. But this is the intention of God. When you're joined in covenant, you are connected in spirit. And your life is meant to be, I believe in every way, just an increase of the spiritual adventure. And when that's neglected, men, this is on you. When that's neglected, it's very likely that the relationship will also spin out in time. We're just not that good at being patient with each other, are we? Apart from Christ. Some are. Few are. Okay. But there is one more. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Let me just pray a minute. Lord, uh, I didn't mean to get here so slow. You've been in charge of every second of this gathering, Lord. I think we'll stop here, and next week I will tell you about the covenant relationships that are available to you with other believers. It's really what I was going for today. 
got through the introduction. The covenant relationship that is waiting for you. It's so rich when you have it. I've been privileged to have a couple in my life. Apart from my covenant relationship with Christ and with Karen. Just a couple in my life that are so life-giving to me. So, so sustaining. So rich. I gotta tell you about it. Can you come back next week? So Lord, we bow before you and we want to give you some time to work among us. We want to give you some time to work among us. We want to give you time to heal our sick, to counsel our troubled, to come, Lord, in the power and the intimacy of your Holy Spirit into the lives of those who have gathered here today. And I thank you for every one of them. I thank you for the richness of this fellowship. I thank you that you have somehow found a way for us to be a part of the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. It's a good thing. And as we just take just a few minutes here, Lord, to sing our heart back to you and pray for people, we invite the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to come to bring your kingdom. In Jesus' name.